We are in 1 Kings chapter 2 today, if you'd like to open your Bibles. And uh, we are, uh, honestly, we're, we're, we're finishing the life of David because I know we've been saying this for a while. David on his deathbed. These are the last words of David. And finally, guess what happens today? David dies. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long process here to get him here. But um, we, uh, we want to see what he's going to say. And uh, let's open in prayer and go from there. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you and praise you for your Holy Spirit that is here today. I pray, Father, that we would absorb and, and receive and, and, and grow in you, Father, that our lives would change and reflect, Father, the image of your Son. Father, we are so weak and inept in many areas, but through your Spirit, Father, we can be strong. I pray, Father, that this would be a time, Father, that you would just be in our lives. We give this time to you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. As we've watched the life of David, and as we've said, he's been on his deathbed for a while, we've watched David raise up from the guy that killed Goliath as a youth, and then we've watched him become king. We've watched him face problems with sexual sin, and we watched him lose his kingdom, and then we've watched him come back and take it again. And we've said that David is a man that was after God's own heart. And, and David loved God. We saw that through the Psalms. We saw the wisdom that it really boiled down to that, that as he said a, a few weeks ago, these are the last words of David. And, and, and his last words were very simple. He says, if you were to lead God's people, you need to be a just king. And as we played upon the words, we don't want to be just a king. We want to be a just king, right? And, and I know, I, I like that. And, 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 and the idea is, is that, is that, you know, you need to be fair, uh, equitable. You need to be uh, 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 not partial. And, and when wisdom comes forth and when you're leading people, you can't show favoritism. Uh, you have to do the right thing. It's hard to do sometimes. And David understands that. And he says it all boils down to if you've done the right thing with your life. Interesting concept for David's last words. But now all of a sudden, hopefully these are the last, last words. He says, now the days of David drew near that he should die. He says, and he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So what David is saying is he's going to charge his son. And he's going to say, keep the commandments of the Lord. And really what he's saying is he's saying, God gave me a promise, King David. And now, son, uh, uh, you are going to receive of the same promise. We understand that uh, 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 David wanted to build God the temple. He wanted to build a structure. He could look out there and he'd see that God was in a tent. And he goes, God dwells in a tent while I live in a palace. That's not right. Let's go build, you know, God a nice big palace. And, and Nathan the prophet said, oh, go right ahead, Dave. You're the guy. And then at night, 
That night, God speaks to Nathan the prophet and says, ah, 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 ah. we don't want David building the prophet. We don't want David building the temple. He's a man of bloodshed. And, and now we see then that, that you know, was he a, a man of war that killed a lot of people? Yes. But David was also a guy that was a murderer. He slept with Bathsheba, the beautiful girl that was sunbathing over there. He brought her over. And then she conceived. She started to have a child. He started to panic. He brings her husband back home and says, go sleep with your wife there, buddy. And he goes, uh 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 and so lo and behold, he has to murder Uriah. He sends him out to a battle and, and withdraws from him and he's killed. And David, you go, that's murder. And, 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 and God has an issue with that. And, and he's like, David, I don't want you building you know, my temple. And so the child then dies that was conceived. And then all of a sudden, David marries Bathsheba. And then all of a sudden, she conceives another child. Oh, and he was a cute little critter, that little Solomon. Everyone looked at him and said, boy, this guy is cute. He's just beloved of the Lord. Look at my child. Everyone saw that. The, the prophet looked at it, you know, and God was well pleased. They called him Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Wow. And David said, this kid's going to inherit the kingdom. And God said, not you, David, are going to build the temple, but Solomon, the son of peace, will build the temple. And all of a sudden now, David is sitting down there. He's going to look at this and he's going to say, you know what? Uh, uh, David, the promise from God was, David, if you're son and you sit on the throne, you're never going to lack a man that's going to be on the throne. You're going to have a dynasty of one child after another child. Your great, 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 great grandchildren are still going to be on the throne of David if they keep the commandments of the Lord. Now, David took that as a huge blessing. He's like, whoa, what a promise. That's big. And now he's got to turn around. Is what he's saying is, you know, as God gave that to me, son, I'm now giving you that promise, and you can pass that promise on to your son. This is something. And he's saying, Solomon, boy, I'm telling you, this is a promise from God for you to receive. You and I have many promises to receive from Christ. But here he is. It's an interesting terminology that David says in verse 2. He says, I go the way of all the earth. How's that for poetic uh, 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 phrasing of saying, I'm going to die? I'm going the way of all the earth. What do they say? There's two things you can't escape, death and taxes. And, and, and here, David is saying, every one of us dies. It's a part of life, and I'm dying. And, and what he's going to do, it says, it says in verse 1, that he should die, and that he, it says, charged Solomon his son an interesting word. Verse 3, it goes down and he says, and keep the charge of the Lord. That's an interesting word, to be charged with something. What does that mean, to be charged? Well, you think of, you think of several things. You can think of a, a battery. You charge up a battery, right? And, and it means that you're, you're compiling energy to be used at an appropriate time. You think of, well, you know what? If you get arrested by the police officer, they're going to come up to you and they're going to charge you with a crime. What does that mean? Be charged with something. They're imputing something to you. That, 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 that you know, if you were an army officer and, and you're on your horse and you got your men behind you, you're going to pull out your sword and you're going to, you know, you know, start riding towards the enemy and you're going to go, charge, Right? And you go, well, what does that mean? Okay, let's go, go fight, guys. You know what I mean? 
But but here, you know, uh, uh, you think of a charge on a, a credit card, right? Uh, uh, you, you think of, I went to the store and they charged me a dollar for the donut, right? And, and, and the word charge means to be empowering. It, it means by, by the, the Webster's, it says a duty or responsibility entrusted to one. And what is he saying? I'm charging you, son. I'm, I'm giving you a mandate. I'm, I'm empowering you to walk in the promise that I had. How's that? I find that to be, to be pretty interesting that, that David is going to be taking that and he's going to say, I'm charging you. I, I'm looking at that. And, and, and as we have a promise, it has to be empowered. It has to be delivered. It has to be empowered to be able to say, take it as yours. I'm in charging this to you. A lot of people read the Bible. It means nothing to them. But boy, when you read the Bible and say, this is God speaking to me, and when Jesus makes a promise, that's to me. Wow, it becomes ownership, ownership when you're charged with something. How's that? One of our desires at Calvary Chapel is that we're not a bunch of dead Christians. A lot of people like to go to church and blah, 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 get up and leave. You know, I don't know what, what happened. And, 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 and if, if we're to be a successful church, the idea is, is that each and every single one of you would be empowered to take, here's a big word, ownership of the church. It makes a big difference when you say, I went to church today, and I went to my church today. You got to come down to my church. Really? It's your church? Yeah, yeah. And that's a sense of ownership. And it says, if you look at some of the psychobabble of the day, uh, they say in order for you to take Calvary Chapel and to make it your church to become an owner, you need to be touched seven times. So hopefully when you walk through the door, someone shakes your hand, gives you a smile. You're going to hear a good sermon. You're going to be sitting there worshiping the Lord and the presence of God comes upon you. You're going to eat some of our wonderful burgers or lasagna and say, boy, I got to come back. Now, if I can catch you seven times uh, uh, in a row, okay, when you first walk through the door, you're going to feel welcome. And if I make a mistake and fart at the wrong time, you're able to excuse that, okay? You know? But if I fart at the wrong time before the seven hits happen, you start keeping on shopping down the road. You know what I mean? And, and the idea then is to say, hey, look, we want we wanna you to feel loved and welcome. We're doing everything we can. And hopefully there's other people in the church that are doing such a thing so that you feel that there's a sense of ownership. There's a sense of being charged, not just saying this is, you know, church, I got to go to church. It's, hey, this is my church. Hey, this is our family. Hey, this is, this is what happens in our building. This is what we do. We sit down and eat together. We, we fellowship. We love Jesus Christ together. And, and in all honesty, that's where David is trying to break this, this through. But now David is going to shift gears here, and he's going to start talking a little weird, okay? He's going to start saying there's some problems, and what he's really going to say is, Solomon, there's three people I want you to kill. <laughs> wow. Okay, bear with me. Verse 5. He says, moreover... You know also uh, what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime. 
And he put the blood of war on his belt that uh, was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom. Son, you do what you think is right in this case. Uh, And just in case you don't quite understand that, uh, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. (laughs) And just in case you don't understand that, he's saying, kill him. (laughs) Okay? And I like this. He says, you know, this guy, Joab, which was David's commander in chief, we, we love Joab. He did a lot of good things for David. And we could see that he did a few wicked things. And he killed two other commanders up of northern Israel. And both times he killed, he killed uh, 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 Abner. And Abner turned around and, and killed Joab's brother because there was this little fight going on at the lake. Remember that? And they turned around and, 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 and uh, Abner was telling this to, to Joab's brother. He says, don't chase me, man. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to kill you. And the guy kept chasing him. And finally, uh, 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 Abner turned around and killed Joab's brother by putting the spear in the ground. And he went through his gut and blah, blah, blah. And, and so now all of a sudden, Joab takes revenge. And he says, hey, hey, Abner, come on over here. I want to talk to you. I want, I want to talk to you about a secret. Puts his arm around him, stabs him in the gut, leaves him there to, to bleed out all over the place. And David's like, you can't do that. That's vengeance. That's war at peacetime. That's not what you do. And then he turns around and he says, he also killed this other guy. And he says, Amasa. And Amasa was uh, Absalom's commander in chief. And, 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 and Joab didn't like him. And it was a weird story. Uh, uh, David and Absalom are at war. You got Joab over here who's leading David's armies. And then you've got Abner over here that is... Um, no, I'm sorry, Amasa over here, which is Absalom's captain. And, and we watch where Joab comes over and cleans, you know, Amasa's clock, and they have great victory. And David turns around and he says, well, just to make peace, we're going we're gonna to take Amasa and make him commander-in-chief of my army, and Joab, you step aside. Now, like I said, you could picture Joab going, I won, I did great for my king, I lost my job, and I lost my job to the guy that I beat. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, what planet is this on that you, the guy replaces you that you beat? And, and that's not war. All's fair in love and war, supposedly, right? And so what does he do? Hey, Amasa, come here. I got to talk to you a second. Let me give you a little kiss. <laughs> Stabs him, falls over dead. Now, David's going to sit down there. We said at the time, he didn't get in Joab's face about a lot of this stuff. But now at the end of the life, he's got to sit down and says, son, don't let him go down to the grave in peace. Kill him. But he says in verse seven of this other guy, he says, but show kindness to the sons of Brasilia, the Gileite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, honored. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. So there's this guy, Barzilia, we talked about him. When David was on the run, he took care of David. When David was at his lowest, he took care of David. And David says, don't forget about him. And if we remember the story of this guy, Brasilia, uh, he came back and he was going to march across the river with David, victory. And David says, come on with me, Barzilia, we're going to hang out. And Barzilia goes, oh man, I'm old, man, I'm old. I just want to go home and die, you know, in my hometown. But you know, you want to bless somebody? Take my son. And David says, I will, I'll bless your son. And he's continuing to keep his word. Verse eight, and see, 
You have with you Shimei, the son of Ukera, a Benjamite uh, from Baram, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and you know uh, what you ought to do to him. And just in case you haven't figured it out, uh, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. <laughs> wow. Now, we, once again, we know the story. Here's, here's David. He's got Absalom and his son chasing him out of Jerusalem. He's leaving, head hung down low. He's walking out of town. And Shimei comes up to him, a Benjamite, just like King Saul was a Benjamite. And he's sitting there saying, you piece of trash, David. You got this coming to you that you lost your kingdom because of what you did to Saul, a Benjamite like me. You're a filthy, rotten, scum, piece of trash. Ripping on him, throwing rocks at him, throwing dust at him, and just sitting down there. And then David has, you know, Abishai next to him, one of Joab's brothers. And what does he say? He walks up and he says, David, you want me to take care of this? He goes, I won't have to swing twice. I got him the first whack. He's dead. And David turns around and goes, no, no, just leave him be. We don't, we don't know. Maybe God sent him. And so victory is David's. He, you know, they beat Absalom in battle and David's being restored. He's now marching back through town. And Shimei comes up. He goes, <laughs> David, nice to see you back. Um, you can take a joke, can't you? <laughs> And Abishai turns around and says, Dave, now's the time to get him, right? Two, you know, I won't take two swings at him. I'll just take one. And David says, no, no, today is a day of victory. It's not a day of bloodshed. Leave it alone. David gave him his word, says, I won't kill you. But my son might. <laughs> now, now, I find it interesting that David sitting down and says, I ain't forgot this guy. This creep got on my nerves. And uh, uh, it, it's a bad day. So we watch then verse 10. And it says, So David rested with his fathers, died, and he was buried in the city of David. And the period that David reigned over uh, Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And then it says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was, it says, firmly established. So somehow or another, uh, with some of these things that are taking place, this is going to establish Solomon as king. Nobody's going to ask questions. Why are you king? What makes you king? Who said you're king? Who died and left you in charge, right? Isn't that what they say? And, and, you, go, and you go, hey, he's firmly established. And that's David's heart, that it wouldn't be controversial or up for grabs. Because we understand the story of Adonijah. And it says, verse 13, now, Adonijah, the son of Hag, Ith, I always think that's funny, Hag, Hag, never mind. He, she goes, he, he came, Adonijah came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And so she said, do you come peacefully? And, and, and he said, I'm, I'm here peace, peaceably. And we, we've talked about what happened here because there's a rival. We, we said that what had happened is that David was getting old, living in his little ivory tower up there. And what had happened is Adonijah made some uh, 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 assumptions. He goes, I'm one of the older sons of the king. 
I'm prince, if you would. I should be with a guy that's in charge. And he started to blow the trumpet and declared himself to be the next king. Well, uh, as we understand that that was not to be the case. The, the son Solomon was to be the next king. We talked about how Solomon was born. He was so special. He was so cute. He was beloved of the Lord. And God said, this is a special child. And David said, this is special to me because it shows that God's still working through my life. And God said, you're, you're not going to build your temple, but, but Solomon will. And that's the next king. God appointed Solomon, asked for it. David wanted it that way. And then we see Adonijah's out there. Doo, 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 doo. Hey, I'm the next king. And what had happened is Nathan came in and he comes to Bathsheba and he goes, Bathsheba, there's a problem out there. Adonijah thinks he's the king. You know what that means to you? Because what happens when you get to be a king? First thing you do, priority number one, kill your brothers. You don't want the competition. And so it's very common. And so he comes in, he goes, Bathsheba, you know your neck's on the line? You know your son and you are going to be chopped up here in pieces real quick if you don't do something fast? So they go in, they talk to David. David sits down and has him ride on the mule. And now Solomon is firmly established as king. Very important. Saves their life. And so when now Adonijah comes in, and he's got to sit down there, and he's, he's, he's and Bathsheba goes, whoa, are you, are you here peaceably? Is this good? Uh, are you here to kill me? Oh, no, 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 I'm just here to talk to you, sweet stepmother of mine. And so he says, verse 14, moreover, he says, he goes, I have something to say to you. And she said, well, say it. And then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me, and that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's for it was his from the Lord. I'll concede the point. And, and, and now I ask just one little petition of you. Do not deny me. And she said to him, well, say it. What are you talking about? And he said, please, please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. Now, did anybody write a song about Abishag the Shunammite? You're moving your hands there, uh, uh, Jeff. Uh, no. I, I specifically, I really think there's a song in Abishag the Shunammite. She's really cute, but dynamite. I'm telling you, you can go from there. Anyway, Dave, can you do a sermon without singing, please? I think that's six in a row. Um, now, if you are unfamiliar with Abishag, we said that David, as he's getting old, he needed, he needed to, to, to keep warm. And so they find some young, voluptuous girl. He does not have relations with her in the biblical sense, but she's the cutie little pie that's keeping him warm at night. And she's in there to be the electric blanket for David, we said, in so many words. And now, all of a sudden, Adonijah was going, man, you know, I may not be king, but boy, that girl's cute. And I'd like to have her as my wife. Now, I find that this is an interesting avenue and approach to the king to go to the king's mother first, right? You figure if you really wanted to make the request, stand there in front of the king and ask him. But he's kind of saying, I'm going to go to your mommy. And, and your mom will do something for me and he'll take this. Now, we understand the language. We talked about this with David, that if you are to sleep sexual relations with one of the king's wives, concubines, it's a, 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 on a death penalty. You're to be killed. 
And we said that the thing was is that the king sleeps with a woman and then the, the, the king is not going to be compared to somebody else. Wow, you know, the girl says, wow, you're so much better in bed than the king, right? And the king never wants that statement. So he says, if you sleep with one of my wives, you're dead. No comparisons, please. And, and so now he's going to come up and he says, I just want one little thing, Abishag, uh, the Shunammite's wife. So Bathsheba said, uh, verse 18, very well, I'll go in and I'll speak for you to the king. And Bathsheba, therefore, went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. She's going to go in and listen to this. Verse 19, and the king rose up to meet her, his mother, and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and listen to this and had a throne set for the king's mother so that she sat at his right hand. Wow. Now, that's pretty amazing. I don't think you've heard that too many times. King Solomon, he's got his throne, ivory throne, laced in gold, done upright, lions up in front of it, up six steps or something weird. It's a magnificent throne. But he also has the throne right next to him for mummy. Wow. Queen mom. Whoa. You got to have your mom next to you, I guess. What? You know, sissy boy. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like... I, okay, Bathsheba walks in. What does he do? He rises up. The, the concept of the king rising up to show honor and homage to somebody is huge. Mom, I honor you. And then he bows down to the ground. No small, insignificant events for a king to do. I recognize this woman. Wow, that's mom. And mom has a throne right next to mine. You cross me, you're going to deal with her. <laughs> I, I had my mom in the first service, and I said, don't get any ideas. That, that's all you get right there, and, and, and it's right there on my right side. Oh. So anyway, verse 20, and she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. Oh, and the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. And so she said, okay, here it is. Boom. Verse 21. Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, his wife. Boom. King Solomon answered and he said to his mother, whoa, now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Oh, ask for him the kingdom. Also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Ab Abathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. There's a whole conspiracy out there. You want me to give him one of dad's wives? No way. Why don't you just ask for the whole stinking kingdom, mom? Where are you coming from? And then King Solomon swore by the Lord. Woo. And he said, may God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. And now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. We ain't waiting around. There's no, there's no appellate court. There's no other jury. You know, nope. Today. Woo. Swift justice. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. And to Abathar the priest, that was also part of some of this, the king said, go to Ananoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. 
but I will not put you to death at this time. That's real comforting. He says, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abathar from being priest to, to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning what? The house of Eli at Shiloh. And we know that Eli was the priest at the beginning of 1 Samuel, and he was a wicked and corrupt priest. He had two sons that were even wicked and more corrupt than him. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were having sexual relations with women in front of the tabernacle of God. Embarrassment. And, it, and the point was, it said that people didn't want to come see God at the temple tabernacle because of these two guys. There's something seriously wrong with a pastor, priest, uh, anybody that's a man of God, and his conduct actually pushes people away from God instead of bringing people to God. And, and these guys were put to death as prophesied in the same day. And, and Eli keeled over and died when he found out that his sons died. And the judgment came from the prophet that said, nobody's going to live long in your household, and the priesthood is cut off. And finally, it's telling you that when this guy was uh, retired here, this, this fulfills prophecy. And God's word is always true and sure. And it's going to happen. And, and what we have to do is to be able to walk in the fulfillment of the promises of God and, and to say his word is true while the rest of the world around us is a lie. And, and, and it's really quite simple that, that Solomon is fulfilling this. He tells the priest, get out of here. And, and, he, and he takes a... a, 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 a you know, who's he, what's he here, uh, Adonijah, and kills him. And then all of a sudden it goes now to Joab. Joab's hearing that uh, heads are rolling. Verse 28, and news came to Joab, for Joab was, had defected to Ajana, uh, Adonijah, sorry. Though he had not defected to Absalom. Interesting terminology. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he took hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, the temple, if you would. There he is by the altar. And Solomon sent Benaniah, the executioner, the son of Jedidiah, uh, Jehoiada, sorry, saying, go strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, but I will die here. And Ben and I brought back word to the king saying, thus says Joab, and thus he answered me. He wants to die right there. And as we talked about this last week, the concept of grabbing hold of the horns of the altar is to say, I'm right here in front of God and everyone. And the idea would be, uh, you know, if I had a beef against you, and I was really mad and I wanted to kill you. You found out about it. And then he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up right here. I'm going to hold on to the pulpit at the 11 o'clock service. And I'm going to say, Dave, go ahead and put a bullet in my head. You think you can do it? Do it in front of God in your congregation. Bam. <laughs> now that's gutsy. You'd rather say, let me get you in a dark alley and shoot you while you're not looking. <laughs> that's what we'd like to say. But, but, but Joab is going to say, how dare you? Are you going to kill me? You're going to kill me right here in front of God and everyone. And, and so Ben and I goes, wow, this is, you know, hey, Solomon. He, he said, kill him in front of everyone. And, 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 and what do we do? And then the king said, verse 31, he says, well, do as he said. He says, we're going to kill him? Kill him. 
then strike him down and bury him that he may take away from me in the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. Though my father David did not know it. We didn't know what was going on. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of the, his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, me, upon the house of him and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaniah, uh, the son of uh, Jehoiada, uh, went up and struck and killed him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place, the guy that just killed him to replace him, uh, 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 over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in place of Abathar. And so you find it, it, it interesting that, that Solomon is going to say, I'm not hiding any of this from God. And it's a brazen attempt to say, this is what justice deems, and, and there's nothing for me to be ashamed of. Kill him in front of God. And as I said, I, I've yelled at my kids, right? Says you, you're going to eat those peas, or I'm going to spank you right here in front of God and everyone else. And boy, those kids. <laughs> you don't have to spank them, but boy, they get the idea, right? And, and they're going, oh, oh, Dad's not afraid of God or anything. He's going to spank me no matter what. <laughs> He's a pastor, and and, uh, and 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 the idea is is that Joab recognizes he made a mistake when he defected to Adonijah. So when Adonijah started to become the king, he was the one that supported him. And he uses the term, I defected, right? So you think of you know, World War II or something, someone defects, that means you're going to become a German, I guess, if you're going to defect from the U.S. to go, or we take a, a German, uh, we take a, a, a Cuban, he defects, he gets in his plane, and they fly over to uh, Florida and land it and says, here's a MiG-25 or something, right? They defect, they, they've changed sides. And you also think of the word defect, and you think of, you know, uh, 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 an article of clothing that was misstitched, right? Um, I grew up in Andover, Massachusetts. And Andover, Massachusetts was the famed home of Converse shoes. Now, I just want you to say that before Converse shoes, which I think run up to like $80 now when I can't get it, that they're trendy. But this was way before they were trendy. They made them back in Massachusetts. And uh, you could go to the factory, and it was like a six-story high factory that was, you know, a block long. But down in the basement of the factory, they had the defects that they would sell for a buck a pair. And you could go down there, and we'd buy six pairs of shoes. Woohoo! I'm way ahead of the time, guys. <laughs> Trust me, I look like the geek at school. But, you know, now they're trendy. I was just ahead of it, right? That's what my dad always says. My dad, my dad used to drive like a 60 Ford, Ford uh, um, uh, 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 van, wagon, you know. And we used to have the coolest time in that. My dad would take out all the seats in the back, and we would call what we'd do, we'd road surf. We'd try and stand in the back, right? Well, my dad's doing like 75 miles an hour through a 35-mile-an-hour curve. And we're all getting thrown to one side or the other, but we had the biggest blast. And I'm sure my dad would be arrested and thrown in jail for doing that stuff now, but... And you know what he said is he had this, this, this 65 van, you know, Ford van, Galaxy thing. He goes, see, I had a minivan before they were popular. I was way ahead of the curve. <laughs> You're going, Dad, that was the biggest piece of junk. 
But anyway, God rest my dad's soul. You know, he's, he's gone. But uh, 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 that's a defect. You're buying shoes for a buck instead of, you know, 10 bucks or whatever it was. And, and, and there's a flaw. There's something wrong. And, and you want to make sure, well, if you buy down at the defect store or at the Converse store, you, you have to look at everything. It says, what is the defect? Is it, you know, you got two lefts or two rights or something? I don't know. And you want to make sure you, well, I can't see anything wrong with them and they're fine. And, and yet he can say that he defected and, and he knows he makes a mistake. And yet he is also going to know that he killed a couple other people. And I don't think he had reservations about killing either one of the two guys that he, he killed, uh, never mind hundreds of others. But anyway, verse 36, he says, Then the king sent and called for Shimei, and he said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. So now for Shimei, he's going to come up and he's going to give him a, a, a fair, equitable arrangement. He's going to say, I'm not just killing you for no reason or for because I had to. He's going to say, I'm going to put you in Jerusalem which was not his hometown. He was from Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin. He says, you're going to build a house here and you're never leaving town. If I ever catch you leaving town, crossing the book, Brook Kidron's getting out of town, I'll kill you. Does that sound fair? Well, better deal than Joab got. And, and Shimei said to the king, verse 38, he says, the saying's good. I, I can live with that. As my Lord, the king has said to your servant, uh, we will do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. And now it happened at the end of three years. Well, two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, the king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. Now, does anybody else remember who ran to Gath? Thank you, thank you. I was wondering if my words have ever... Hit the congregation. Um, remember, he killed Goliath of Gath, and he took Goliath's sword to Gath, and he was seeking refuge from the king of Gath. And you're going, David, that's pretty stupid. Uh, um, uh, bury you know, the, the sword of Goliath and try and you know, appease. And, and actually, Achish took care of him. And, and now, uh, uh, you, you see two of his slaves are running back over there. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a slave of you know, uh, Shimei here, right? Uh, 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 uh. I don't know about you, and I knew that my master couldn't leave town. The first thing I'd do, I don't know, maybe in a week after he came back, is I'm out of town <laughs> and say, you can't touch me, no, 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 come get me, you're dead, you crossed the line. And you go, what took them three years to figure that out? I don't know, maybe they enjoyed being a slave, I don't know. But, you know, okay, they're off and they're running to Gath. And so, verse 40, dumb Shimei, uh, so Shimei rose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went, and he, he brought his slaves from Gath, and Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And the king sent, and he called for Shimei, and he said to him, hey, did I not make you swear by the Lord? Is it clear enough? And, and, and warn you saying, no, for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. And you said to me, uh, uh, the word I have heard is good. What part of that didn't you understand? 
And why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And the king said, moreover to Shimei, you know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the thrones of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down and he died. And then it says, thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And once again, we're getting this concept that somehow or another, with the death of these people, uh, we're watching the throne to be established underneath Solomon. And, and we don't want it to be up for question. We don't want to debate about it. But Solomon's putting his foot down. He's making his mark. And it, it, it's establishing his kingdom. Now, I look at this as, as first off, uh, uh, maybe, maybe Solomon's cleaning house. You guys ever get a new house, an old house that's new to you? You ever move into an apartment that somebody else just vacated? And, and there's a sense, before you move all your junk in, there's a, a sense that you can take over the house and really do a, a thorough, deep clean. And since I want to really clean the, the baseboards, I want to clean the fridge out, there's none of the stuff in the way to stop me from giving it a good, deep clean. And in a certain sense, there's Solomon who's saying, I'm taking over for my David and I need to clean up real good. I want my sweat, my, my, my soap and my cleaner in the house that, that I can make it mine, my own. I don't want it to smell like everyone else that lived there before. I want it to be my place. And, and in a certain sense, I can see that that is good. That, that firmly establishes Solomon as king. And, and I find it, though, rather ironic. And, and bear with me. If we understand the, the, the process here, David wanted to build a temple for God. God said, no, your hands are filled with blood. And then they turned around and said, Solomon, the son of peace, will build the temple for me. Okay, now if that be true and you're King David and you're on your deathbed and you're passing down the kingdom to your son, isn't it a little strange that the first thing David or the last thing David is saying is go kill three people for me? Well, I thought Solomon was the man of peace. I thought that was his ace in the hole was that he wasn't a man of bloodshed. And you go, David, why, why are you asking him to kill? Don't let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. I'm telling you, you don't let his gray hair go without bloodshed. He makes it pretty clear. And, and you go, wow. Now, that's one way to look at it. And I would think it's almost a little morbid of David to ask these things. And you go almost like, David, the question would be, why didn't you take care of this yourself? And maybe that's a little bit of the answer here. Maybe what is happening, and just bear with me, is that, is that David is saying, Son, you're taking over for me, and the number one priority is keep the commandments of the Lord. You don't shed innocent blood uh, of peacetime uh, uh, like it was war when it wasn't war. And what David is saying, bear with me, is he says, I really wanted to kill these three people. I wanted to so bad. But God didn't release me to go kill them. And I honored the Lord by... Me facing my deathbed and at least telling you when I die, take care of these problems. 
And, and in a sense, if David's message is to firmly establish Solomon as king, then it's Solomon, you need to be obedient to the Lord. And he's really saying, then be obedient like me. I didn't kill these three people. Now, David killed an awful lot of people. But he says, you know what? I wasn't free to do it here. And, and, and sometimes we need to hear that, that when we, you and I, uh, we walk before the Lord uh, uh, to honor the integrity of God in our lives. It means you and I doing the hard thing. It's not always easy. And, and, and you know what? Uh, 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 God may call you and I when we are wimps, when we're weak and we're destitute and we're in tears. And God loves us. He wraps his arms around us. But I also want to say this. God doesn't keep us in the place of being a wimp. He doesn't allow us to continue to, to, to mature for so many years and still be a baby and an infant. There is an expectation of growth. And you go, well, you know what? You got a, a, a two-year-old and he's in diapers. Hey, you know, that's cute. Ha, ha, ha. You know, you got a six-month-old in diapers. Ha, ha, ha. When you got a 20-year-old in diapers, it ain't so funny. And you're going, gee, there's something wrong. I'm sorry, I have to get up and leave. I have to change my diaper. Well, wow, you know, you're 20, 25, 30, 50 years old? And, 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 and in a certain sense, there's, there's a time that's appropriate for certain things. And, and David is saying, Solomon, you've got to catch up to the times. You've got to be a big boy here. Hey, this is what a little bloodshed is like. This is what it's like to be a king, and this is what it's like to bear the sword. Do you understand that? What if I would say, you know, this is what it's like to be a Christian. This is what it's like to be on fire. We're supposed to be loving, kind. We're supposed to be dying for one another. And that means we've got to put up and, and tolerate other people being an idiot. Wow, that's hard. And that's sometimes what we're called to do. And, and, and David is saying in so many words, I've kept my word. How's that? And, 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 and a, a man is only as good as his word. How's that? I know that may not be biblical in so many senses, but it's very biblical, I believe, to be able to say a man's only as good as his word. If you can't keep your word, if you can't honor and do integrity, you're useless. And, and in all honesty, you look at today's political scene. I know, I know, don't, don't shoot me here. But, but, you know, you watch the debates, the, the vice presidential debates, and, and you know, uh, uh, I was struck in amazement over some of the non-answers now, the, the moderator, the gal there that was moderating the debate, she asked a beautiful question. Okay, for me as a pastor, it was very pertinent. Her question was rather simple. She goes, now both of you guys are, are dedicated Catholics, right? Yes, yes. Now, she says, now as a dedicated Catholic, how does that motivate and shape your view on abortion? And if you listen to both their answers, neither one of them answered the question. I was like, wow, that's depressing. Now, I'm sorry, that would have been a golden opportunity, right? Pastor Dave, how does, it, how does your faith affect your view on abortion? Well, you know, I have a value of life given to me by God, and there's a sense of honor and prestige. And, and because of how God has taught me to value life, I can see now that even the innocent of those that are in the womb need to be protected. Okay? Or I don't know however Biden would have answered it, but that would have been a, a simple answer. It was an open platform, and they didn't even answer the question. Well, you know, my Catholicism makes me to be a good person. Well, so what? I mean, that's not the question. What, what does that have to do with your view? And, and, and you know, uh, 
you want to be able to, to see people match up with their words. And, and please, you know, I, I, I make no bones about it. I'm, I'm a, you know, hardcore, radical, you know, Republican. You know what I mean? I'm sorry if that offends some people here. It's true. I, I understand there's a mixed multitude here. And I'm not ever trying to tell people how to vote. That's not my purpose. I don't care. The Republican Party is never going to save America. Only Jesus Christ will. And, and if, 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 I, if, I, if I lose you to the kingdom of God for the sake of Republican versus Democrat, I have failed miserably. And, and, and our job is to say, who cares? You know, you'll vote the right way, I would hope. And, and, and in the meantime, let's focus on the kingdom of God. And, and that's our desire. But, you know, you watch all this stuff, it, it can get really upsetting. Now, did you watch some of the ads on TV? There, there's one that really bothers me, right? We got, we got Sherrod Brown running against Josh Mandel. And, and you know, this is, this is Pastor Dave Brown, right? Pastor Dave Brown, that's my last name. And when you watch on the TV, and, and Josh Mandel's running the commercial, Boot Brown out. <laughs> That's literally the words that are across the screen. You go, wow. Boot Brown out. And, and I don't like Sherrod Brown. Trust me, I don't. And, 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 but you go, hey, come on. You know, what if my congregation is watching these ads and they're going to say, boot Brown out, boot Brown out. Hey, let's get rid of Pastor Dave Brown. Hey, you know, you go, ooh, you know. But the idea is, is that, you know, you stomach through some of this political gobbledygook. And, 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 and it still really comes down to the same situation for David. King David is to say, Solomon, honor your word, your integrity. And I really believe he's saying, I would have loved to kill these guys, and I didn't. And that shows restraint. And sometimes restraint for you and I is, is just as important as action. And, 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 and we have a desire, a mandate to be able to say, Lord, uh, you know, use me, mold me, shape me. I want to be, be effective, and I want to be firmly established in my kingdom. And your little world that you live in, you need to be established there as a believer. And sometimes it means you're standing up and having that thing called the backbone. And, and God's calling you. He's asking you. He wants to establish you. And uh, 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 I think firmly in what's going on in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. And shut up, Dave. <laughs> God's good. Dearly Father, uh, we do thank you and praise you for just being an awesome God. I pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to mold us and shape us. Father, I pray that you would forgive us, Father, for sometimes lacking the integrity, the backbone to do the right thing. And Father, I pray that uh, we would be called to do what is right, what is honorable, and what is of you. Father, it was Jesus who taught us to wash the feet of those that were even betraying him. It was Jesus who turned around and taught us to love and said on the cross, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Father, I pray that we'd have that heart in us, Father, to be, to, to be a perseverer, to be strong, Father, at the right time and to be men, to be women, Father, that are at the right time, at the right place, to be effective for your kingdom. Father, I thank you, I praise you, and I give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.